0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 499 for Monday, April 28th, 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap, the show where you send in questions, tips and cool stuff found. We answer your tips. We share your questions and we all enjoy cool stuff found or back that up, reverse it, mix it around and do that instead. This show, this episode is sponsored by Squarespace at Squarespace.com. get 10% off with coupon code MGG on all of your web hosting stuff that they do there. We'll tell you a little bit more more about them in the show. This episode is also sponsored by by Harry's at harrys.com to get all your shaving needs and we'll tell you more about them. They're a new sponsor too M- coupon code mgg gets you 5 bucks off from them. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, cleanly shorn. I'm Dave Hamilton. <laughs> Here in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh I think I got
1: a, a sh- little shadow, little little. I'm not totally cleanly shorn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: John F. Braun. How are you doing today, John F. Braun? Good. Good. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So we promised several, uh, a couple of episodes ago, we started the conversation about uh, what I have been calling uh, the return of the golden age of upgrades here on the Mac. Uh, It started with the SSD install that I did on my, uh, on the iMac in the studio. And then I, I washed, rinsed and repeated uh, without the the washing because that gets dangerous with electronics uh, on a couple of the machines at the house. And now I've done three SSD migration slash installs in the last couple of weeks. And uh, it, it's really interesting, especially when you look at the the pricing uh, of all of this. And so we had we've had a lot of questions uh, from people coming in and and uh, and some comments from all of you. So, so this is sort of our not our wrap up, but but a sort of our follow up, if you will. Uh, to the SSD thing. We'll do that for a little bit here and then we'll, we'll move on to some other topics because we have some questions of yours that uh, are unrelated to that as well. But, uh, but you know, John, it, it, um, as I was going through this and, and learning more about what's available from different vendors out there, thus far I have um, Um, installed and am using SSDs from three different vendors currently SanDisk with the X 110 uh, OWC MacSales.com with the mercury three G or the mercury Electra three G. And I'll, I'll talk about why I chose that. And, uh, and crucial with their M 500 series of drives. So, um, and, and, but what's, what's really interesting is, you know, we, as, as Mac users, John, back in the day, uh, when, like when we started TMO 15 years ago or whatever it was, We were all upgrading our machines and and the clone vendors had a lot to do with that. Right. We put processor upgrades in and and obviously RAM. But but there were all kinds of things that we were doing to our computers to to eke more life out of the uh, out of these these expensive boxes that we had bought. And then that stopped cold in uh, in 2006 when Apple shifted to Intel, because suddenly it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to put a lot more money into the, um, into the, the, uh, you know, into these boxes when the, the architecture was effectively replaced. Right, John. So, you know, we all had to buy new machines, which is fine. It's good for Apple, I guess. Uh, and actually it's been really good for Apple, right? there's no question. I don't have to guess at that. But, uh, but now we're at a point where those machines that we bought back then in, you know, 2007, 2008, even 2009, uh, are all ripe for upgrades. And that's been true for a while. And uh, but, you know, we're not going to be doing processor replacements on these machines unless you get a Mac Pro, right? Because those have the the socket. Right. I was going to mention that because,
1: uh, yeah, I think what ended that age was, yes, for the most part, most processors were soldered right to the circuit board. So uh, a processor upgrade (laughs) (laughs) didn't make much sense unless you you were into, you know, desoldering surface mount components. Oh, yeah. uh, Good luck. Right. Yeah. yeah, I heard the Mac Pro. You can do that. I yeah. guess it is a uh, replaceable your user. Uh, the user can access it. Yeah, and upgrade it. Hey,
0: yeah, totally. Not? Yeah, right. Which is great. But, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. That, you know, that that's a whole different class of machine. Um, but, you know, your iMac and your, your MacBook Pro and your, you know, those types of machines are the ones that that you've had for a while. And and for the most part, they, they you know, we talked about it. They aren't CPU bound. They're disk bound. Uh, meaning that the disk is typically the slowest thing, uh, and the CPU is waiting for all of that. So, uh, and five years ago, you know, we started heading down this whole path of SSDs and experimenting. But, admittedly, back then they were way expensive, and it's really hard to justify putting a you know five hundred dollar component or or thousand dollar actually back then it was probably a thousand dollar component into a machine that was, you know, maybe only worth a thousand uh, all by itself and maybe even less. But that has changed. And, uh, it, you know, with these drives that I mentioned, I think that they're, they're all in this price range. But the, the least expensive of them was the it, and I'm looking at 256 gig sizes and we'll talk about sizing in a minute. But at the 256 gig size and the reason I picked that size was because most of the machines that shipped back in 2007, 2008 all seem to come with those kind of two to 300 gig sized uh, rotational drives. So just looking, replacing that, what's the cost to just replace it with something the same size and faster. Uh, And it's way faster with an SSD, as we talked about in the last show. Crucial's M500 drive, which is the slower of their two uh, models. They have the M550 and the M500, but for the older machines, it doesn't matter. Uh, You get the M500, $119 for a two 256 gig SSD. So suddenly this becomes a really realistic upgrade. Even if you have to spend the 15 bucks to put it, uh, if you're putting it in an iMac and replacing a three and a half inch drive, SSDs are all two and a half inch form factor. So you have to, uh, do something to the drive to make it fit in that larger form factor. And so something like the newer tech adapter drive, uh, it's just a bracket. Well, it's more than just a bracket. It's got a little uh, SATA adapter on it, but uh, it's effectively a, a bracket that, um that you just plug the drive into screw it into and now it fits the size of a three and a half inch and has all the screw holes in the right places so that you can mount it in a normal bracket and it costs 15 bucks but even if you add 15 bucks to to 119 you know you're still you know shy of 135 to do this upgrade and that to me is totally worth it when it's an upgrade that probably will take your machine and roll you forward uh for you know a good couple of years even if you get one year more out of a machine for, you know, a hundred bucks or a hundred and hundred and twenty 120 bucks that to me, that's worth it. Right. And every one of my family members for whom I have done this has said the same thing. Thank you. It feels like you gave me a new computer. It really, it it is that. And, and, and I mean, I, you know, you can listen back to the first Mac geek five years ago when I put an SSD in one of my machines, I said the same thing. It, it, it truly is that fundamental of a difference. Things launch faster, you're not waiting for the computer all the time. Uh, you know, all of that, all of that stuff just sort of goes away. And, uh, and there you go. So, so that, that's sort of the, the foundation for, uh, for, for why we started talking about this and why I started doing this. And uh, anything to add here, John, before we kind of go into some listener questions that that we both sort of tackled and all that good stuff. Uh, I think it'll come in one of the questions. Okay. All right, good. I will I mentioned sizes. Uh I will say that because of the way most if not all, but I'll say most, uh SSDs are made 200 the 256 gig versions are actually slower. Any in fact anything smaller than that 480 or 512 whatever what whatever model they're 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 calling it. But but anything smaller than that is going to be slower than anything that size or larger. So the, that that four hundred and eighty size or five hundred twelve size or five hundred meg size five hundred gig size, sorry, uh, is going to be faster, and it's just because of the way the chips, uh, the, the the amount of chips on the drive and the way they're laid out, you'll get faster writes to those larger drives. But again, you know, you are talking about um, writes. It maybe it's it's going to write at four hundred megabytes in second instead of five hundred, which is a substantial difference. Um, and, and again, something you, you might want to consider, but depending on what kind of Mac you're putting it into, that might not matter at all. And certainly it, 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 it's a, it's way faster than whatever spindle drive you had in that computer that was probably topping out at, you know, 70 or 80 at best. Uh, and also the whole thing about the, the latency just goes away. So, um, so it may, may or may not matter to you, uh, to get the additional speed that you get when you put a. a a larger drive in but i did want to point that out and some folks in the chat room which i'll say hi to at slash stream are asking why i didn't use this drive or that drive and uh the one that comes up a lot is the samsung 840 evo uh i i have one of those on the way i will test it uh it just didn't make the timing wise they just didn't make the cut for for this but um But it's also not quite as inexpensive as as the others that I tested. Typically, those even, you know, the the 840 EVO, which is a little sort of their low end model. It's still the upper, you know, 100s. I think it's like the 170, 180, 190 price range for the uh, for the 256 gig or 240 gig version. So. So that's that's why I didn't go nuts trying to get one of those like I did with the OWC. I knew I wanted to have one of those, so I just bought one, you know, and um, and and did it. And I'm stoked about it. It's great. So, uh, all right. So, so here we go. Uh, going to Michael. I guess we'll start with John. And Michael writes, a good place to start. He says, I took the plunge and bought the 1 terabyte SSD for my late 2008 MacBook Pro. I'm running OS 10.10.92 10, and wanted your advice. I have a clone via SuperDuper of my current 750 gig hybrid internal drive on an external USB 2 and Time Machine backups on an external 1 terabyte OWC drive attached via FireWire. After installing the SSD internally in my MacBook Pro, what should I do? Should I remove the drive from the OWC enclosure put my current 750 in it start up and clone back from that should I use time machine should I just use my external clone should I boot from it should I clone from it what's the best way to do this um, I follow the same procedure for all three of the ones that I've done here it's gone extremely smooth uh, there's nothing wrong with any of the methods that 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 you suggested there but Um, in, in a nutshell, I think cloning is going to be way faster than trying to use migration assistant or time machine or anything like that. Unless there's a specific reason that you want to start with a fresh OS install, you don't have to. So, uh, so I, what I've done is I've actually booted from the drive that was in the machine, the the, the spindle. In fact, I do it while it's in the machine. I, I, I do the SSD all over USB or, or firewire. So I put the SSD in a external USB case and I format it uh, and we'll talk about formatting a little bit later, but uh, but I format it and then uh, I've been using carbon copy cloner. Now you'll know, you'll know me as a super duper fan uh, and I do still use super duper as my daily uh, clones from on my, on my iMac in the office, largely because that's what I started with and I trust its scheduler and it just works. So there's no reason to change. However, Carbon copy cloner has a great feature in its um oh what's it called i can't remember uh oh, i I'll, I'll pull it up here uh, it it's um they have the ability to co- to copy the recovery partition john it's in the disk center and and you may have had carbon copy cloner for years and never even noticed that this was there. But if you go and and launch it and go uh, into the window menu and go to disk center, it shows you all the disks that are mounted and you can do things with them. Uh, You can mess with uh, with a couple things. And one of the things is you can clone a recovery partition to this. So that's the first thing I did was was clone the recovery partition over. And then while I had carbon copy cloner open, I used that to clone from my boot drive to the SSD and I quit all my apps. But, you know, there were some things running in the background, whatever. Uh, and it, you know, it takes an hour or two or, or however long it takes, depending on how much data you have. And, uh, and then once that clone finished, then I would go into, to, uh, system preferences, startup disc and change the startup disc to the SSD on USB still and boot from it. You'll see it boot faster, even though it's on the really slow USB bus and all that stuff. It still benefits from all the, the latency benefits and uh, or the latency reductions, I should say. And, uh, and then as soon as it, it started up, I eject the internal drive, uh, just so I don't have two drives mounted that have the same contents and get myself confused. And I run that way for a couple of days, make sure it works. Okay. Um, and just, you know, make sure everything's good. And then once, once it was good. And once I had, you know, some extra time, cause it, it's a, give yourself an hour on an iMac or a, a MacBook pro to, uh, to do the whole drive swap thing. And, uh, and once I had some time, a couple of days later, i did the whole drive swap and put the drive in the computer and haven't looked back. So that that's the simplest way is just clone it and go. Any thoughts on that, Mr. Braun?
1: Yes, in that I follow uh, when I've moved from one drive to another, at least on my MacBook Pro, I followed mm-hmm. a slightly different procedure. All right. In that I have one of the, uh, uh, I believe it's the uh, WinTech. Is that it? Uh, one of the WinTech um express card ssds okay and here's what i do i do something almost identical um the, the the only thing is that to me and maybe i shouldn't be nervous of doing this but running carbon copy cloner and copying from the drive that carbon copy carbon copy cloner say that three times fast yes is running on gives me it makes me a wee bit nervous
0: i totally i rock okay. that yeah 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 I, I mean, I'm used to I, I do my daily clone. That happens from my my drive, right? And so I figured my 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 rationale was: if I'm going to trust that for my daily clone, that's actually a backup, then I'm going to go ahead and trust cloning from a a booted drive sure. for for this too. And it has not failed me in any of in any of those four scenarios: the three these, and then the the, the daily backup. So, but I get right. it. So the only yeah, thing it makes so sense. The
1: only thing I do different is that I will. So I have you know a small you know the the WinTech drive i think is a 48 gig yeah which is enough to hold a basic osa on carbon copy cloner so typically what i've done is i would boot from that and then use carbon copy cloner to copy from or to yeah. the drive inside the machine to a drive connected outside the machine
0: that makes sense i, I guess that's
1: the only difference i did because uh, I'm, I'm just concerned that you know it's going to try to is that the state you see where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm my concern is that you may miss something by copying from the drive that you're running carbon copy cloner on. It may be infinitesimal, the, the yeah. chance that something will go around. And you've done it enough where it's not going to be a problem.
0: No, but it's a, it's a it's a valid point, And it is the reason that I quit all my apps. In fact, I'll even go to the uh, menu yes, bar and quit Dropbox and all that stuff. But you're right. right. There's still some things happening. Here's where it saves you, though. Because I don't think I haven't tried this because I don't want to, but I think you would quickly run if you accidentally reversed your drives. This is always my fear when I'm doing a clone, especially from a blank drive or a drive with one thing on it to a drive with all of my important stuff on it, right? My fear is that I'm going to reverse the drives in the interface and clone the blank drive onto the uh, drive with all the data, and then boom, everything is gone. I would assume. That if I tried to do that booted from one of those drives, i.e. the Mm -hmm. one that I don't want to lose it, super duper carbon copy cloner would yell at me and say, I can't do this because you're asking me to replace files that are in use. And and so to me, that actually gives me a little bit of a safety net. And that I mm-hmm. do, I won't screw it up. I mean, I check it four times. I like I look at the screen. I make sure it's right. I turn away. I pet the cat. Then I look back at the screen, and it's like, okay, yep. I I still agree with the choice I have made. You know, but that's just me. But I, I I get it. Yeah, you need to be careful. No matter how you do this, you 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 have to be careful about it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And actually, we got some good. So our good friend Doc Rock uh, has some things to add. So I think he he said that he does something similar, but in the, the you know to what I was suggesting. In that he gets a bootable USB stick and you know, yeah. he can get a cheap eight gig USB stick. Yep. Um, and yeah, and another thing, which actually is a good tip, and I'll do this temporary as well, is, uh, you know, give the drives different names.
0: Yeah, that's like when you go to get uh, a limb amputated, you write on the on the other one, not this leg or not this. Seriously, I mean, that's what they tell patients to do. I had a family member that went through it and it's like, that's what you do because, you know, mistakes happen. Yeah.
1: So that's what I have to add. If, yeah. if at all possible, if you if if you if you boot from a device that has its own OS and carbon copy cloner to copy from one drive to another and you have enough ports to, to be able to do that,
0: that, that. Right.
1: That's that's all I have to
0: add. No, yeah, I like it. I like it. Good. All right. Well, we're, we're getting there. Um. So Jeff writes, Jeff says, I have a late 2011 i7 MacBook Pro laptop and I replaced my originally shipped uh, 120 gigabyte rotate uh, SSD which he got with it with an aftermarket Samsung 840 Pro SSD 256 OS 10 at least as of 1092 does not enable TRIM TRIM support for third party non Apple SSD drives there are multiple utilities such as Trim enabler or Chameleon SSD optimizer that will enable trim support on third party drives and it works like a champ my issue is that whenever i upgrade to a newer version of OS 10 Trim support reverts to being off again. Is there any way via an Apple script or some other mechanism to create an alert? Should trim support become disabled? So, John, I'm going to hand this to you in a second because you you learned some great stuff answering this question. But the simple answer mm-hmm. is to use trim enabler. Uh, so what trim is? I'm going to t- I'm going to give you the answer. Then we're going to talk about what trim is. The, the, the simple answer is launch trim enabler. You can either use it in free mode, which gives you trim and basically nothing else except this one other feature I'm going to tell you about, or you can pay 10 bucks and get all kinds of different things where you can adjust all sorts of other parameters. But even in free mode, it allows you to enable trim. uh, And then it uh, also has a setting that you can say, alert me at startup. If trim has been disabled. So uh, check that box and then you're good to go. Now I'm going to, explain to them quickly what trim is john and then i'm going to let you explain how you solve this problem because it's cool uh and geeky with an ssd with a regular drive a rotational hard drive uh we talked about file systems we talked about hard links and all that stuff last week so i'm not going to go too deep into it but when you delete a file it doesn't actually delete the file from the drive it just wipes out its reference in the index on the drive and then the drive knows that This space on the drive is free to be written to whenever we wish. But that space still has whatever data was in it previously. It doesn't go and erase it on a rotational drive. That's no problem. When it's time to write to it, it just writes to it. Uh, No problem. With an SSD, you have to erase first. And then write. So as the drive gets full and you erase things, it takes longer to do writes to the drive because you have to. Uh, Do it. It's a two step operation. You have to delete the data and then you can go right to it. What trim does T R I M uh, it's an acronym for something off the top of my head. I don't remember, but, uh, but what trim does is it's a way for the operating system to tell the disc, Hey, we're a little bit idle right now. Why don't you go and do some of that wiping of the data so that when we have to go and write to the drive, you've got some stuff that's free. That's what trim does, which is a great thing. Uh, and and I I do recommend enabling it on all of your SSDs, including the third-party ones, and yes, even including the ones from people that that like OWC recommends you not use Trim Enabler. That's because they use SandForce uh, uh, chips with their SSDs, and those SandForce chips have their own garbage collection in them. However, their garbage collection works even better if it can be told when to run via the Trim command. They don't recommend you use trim because they don't want to recommend you do something to hack the OS. And I get that, but that same drive installed in a windows machine will run trim and OWC recommends that you do that. So there you go. Now, John, sure. Anybody can flip a switch in trim enabler and have it tell them when trim's been disabled, when you start up. But if you don't just want to flip that switch and a free piece of software (laughs) that you can download in 10 seconds, what else could someone do? Because he did ask about AppleScript and that sent you down a little bit of a rabbit. And that was the
1: path that I took. So you, you, your answer is the best answer because it directly addresses his need. But sure. I went on a learning journey, Dave, because as you know, part of this podcast is that we learn at least three new things every week. Right. And so this may be one or two of them. So the first thing that I did, so number one, so so the question was about AppleScript. Could you use AppleScript to determine if Trim is enabled or not? And the answer is yes, you can. Now, also with coding, it rarely makes sense for you, for one like me, to try and find, (laughs) to start writing original code. Plus, you know, that, that, that can take a while. Right. So I whipped out the google foo and sure enough someone had uh, on on a site called macscriptor.net had an article that revolved around the topic of how do i use apple script to retrieve system information and on the mac graphically as most people know uh, but if you don't there's something called system profiler that right now if you have an ssd and you fire up system profiler uh, one of in in one of the sections, it will tell you. Oh, trim is either on or off for this SSD. Sure. And so they give a, a sample program. That's what I'm going to link to. I'm not going to read through every piece of code here, but there's there's an important part of it, Dave. So one thing you could do is through AppleScript, via what we're going to call a shell script. Okay. Yeah. And I don't want to get too complex here, but basically, there is a line in the code that I found that will run system profiler from the terminal. So to me, that was part of the learning journey here. I had not done this in a while. Sure. So the thing is, if you go to the terminal and you type system underscore profiler, you will get the same output that you see in the GUI version, because that's what it's really doing. As far as I can tell, the text is identical. But the thing is, um, if you just type system underscore profiler, you're going to see everything. And you ah. don't want everything because right. the data that you want is in a specific part of the system profiler report. And sure. the specific part is the SATA, um, serial ATA uh, listing. Now, how can you tell what subset or what data types or data subtypes or whatever? What, what, how can you tell what all the data types are that system profiler can tell you about? And I'm going to tell you how you can get it to tell you <laughs> you type system <laughs> underscore profiler space dash list data types. And then it's going to spit out a big, huge list of all the different data types that it, you can say, okay, just give me this. Oh, and very in this cool. case, and so in this case, the piece of data that he wants, what you would do uh, is modify the code that I found and say system underscore profiler space SP serial ATA data type. And what that's going to do, that's just going to give you that piece of data and within it then what you would do and you know, we can't give you a programming course right now, but basically what you do is you would search for the line that says trim support and it's going to say either yes or no, I believe. Cool. So that's one way to go about it. So, so um, you know, if, if you want to use AppleScript to do this, you certainly can. You can also use Automator. So I learned this as well, Dave. So if you go to Automator, fortunately, Automator, does something very similar is that in the library of things that automator can do, one thing you can say is, well, run system profiler and show me the output. But it also within that box or, you know, once you drag the box over in automator, it will say, Oh, by the way, would you like to limit the output to a certain subset of the data and very similar to the Apple script? So what you would do is take that automator action and just click on the serial ATA checkbox. Uh. And the same thing's going to happen. The output is just going to be the report of the serial ETA devices. And you want to search, you know, using however you write your code, research for text. You want to look for the line that says trim support. Sure. And at that point, you know, put up a dialogue if it's one value or just, you know, march merrily along if it's another value. So that's how you could do, do it programmatically. But it reminded me that there's a lot of things, Dave, that we've, you know, told people in the past that you can see a lot of that you can do a lot of things from the terminal and OS 10 for a lot of things gives you a nicer way of doing that. But if and,
0: you want to get down and dirty and get in the terminal and run system profiler, you can certainly do it. Yeah, you did. that's very cool. I had no idea that that was there. There's a lot of like, like you said, there's a lot of stuff that uh, exists in the terminal. Uh, I'm going to take a break from the terminal here, though, and I want to talk about our first sponsor of this show which is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash M G G Squarespace is they're more than just a web hosting company. They're an all in one platform, web based platform that frankly makes it really easy and really fast to create your own website and, and then, and then put it out there. It's just how it works. And your website can be As simple as a private little blog that you use to share uh, some pictures with you know your your friends and family. It can be an online store, and they have hooks for all kinds of um, uh, you know to, to take payments. You can take credit cards without getting a merchant account. In fact. I, I would say that anyone listening to this show from the moment you visit squarespace.com slash MGG, you literally could have a store up with one item in it. Uh, it might take you longer to populate more items, of course, but you could have a store up with one item in it within an hour. Uh, I guarantee it. It's just how it. it's so simple and literally taking credit cards an hour from right now, if you started. So it's that simple. And they really, they've thought about all the things that people who want to set up websites are going to need and they just do it. And the cool part is you just start creating and you you can just start manipulating things in your web browser. You can move the you start with their beautiful templates and their templates are great because they give you a, a, a interface that works on your Mac and anyone's Mac and anyone's Windows machine. But also their templates are all built to scale to mobile. And so. You don't have to do anything extra. It just works with an iPhone when somebody visits your website and or your web store, whatever it is that you do. And uh, and then you just start creating and you can move things around. And if you have your own pictures that you want to put in, they've got some beautiful artwork in their templates, but that doesn't always make sense uh, for whatever you're going to do. So you drag your own artwork and literally dragging it from the finder into your web browser, right into Safari. And there it is on the web page. So check it out. It's squarespace.com slash MGG. They've got all this drag and drop stuff, all the, the designs too, totally super easy. And they've got 24 seven support. You can do live chat or email if you like, but the chat's great because they can kind of walk you through. And while you're there in your web browser and, uh, and it, the, the support people are, are fantastic. They totally get that. You know, they need to have smart, intelligent and well educated uh, on the product support people and they do that Uh, plans start at eight bucks a month. uh, And if you sign up for a year, that includes a free domain name, uh, you know, all soup to nuts right there. There you go. Uh, And if you use the coupon code MGG, you save 10% on your first purchase. So if you sign up for a year, you're saving 10% for a whole year and you get the free domain name. So check it all out. Squarespace.com com slash m g g all right john let's let uh let's let david have a, a a thing or a thing or three to say here
2: hey david john um my name is david i'm a listener long-time listener i just finished listening to episode 497 where you were talking about io bound and ssd upgrades i recently upgraded my mac pro 2009 to an ssd really enjoyed the speeds, but I had noticed I was only getting 270 megabytes per second write-time, and I was hitting the limit of the SATA 2 bus. So I searched the Internet, and I found an amazing PCI Express card that allowed me to attach the SSD directly to it, and uh, no longer was I um, I I.O. bound to SATA 2 at 3 gigabits per second. I was able to move to SATA 3, 6 gigabits per second, using this card. It's a great card. The SSD attaches right on it, a couple of screws, goes into the slot, and it's completely bootable on any Mac Pro. I uh, highly recommend it for anyone who has a Mac Pro. Um, now I'm getting, um, 500 megabyte write speeds and 550 megabyte read speeds. Uh, definitely recommend it for anyone. Uh, check it out. It is the, um, Apricorn Velocity, uh, Solo 2. Um, great card. Works on a PC and Mac. Um, this is where you cut me off.
0: 490. Oh, man, cut you off. We shall and maybe next time i won't drag the uh the audio scrubber around so yeah we'll put a link to that in the show notes awesome that's great yeah the um the newer Macs newer mac supports sata 3 and and will go 6 gigabits a second but uh but it it uh with the older ones in your mac pro of course you have the ability to uh um uh, um to upgrade which would upgrade the bus which is awesome or upgrade add right. a bus i should say
1: you know, Dave, i got to say that surprises me because the speed that he mentioned. So he was mentioning he was maxing out at about, what, 200 or 100, 100 something megabytes per
0: second. He was getting 250 megabytes a second on his on his SATA 2 bus, which is about what I get here on, oh. on this iMac. Yeah.
1: OK, because in theory, you should get a bit more. Now, you may be asking yourself, how can I do this translation from gigabits per second to megabytes per second? And I'm going to give you a quick tip quickest way for me to do this dave is that this is a feature of our pal google who is not evil (laughs) but what you can do and right now you can do this the quickest way to do this dave is in safari so say for example i know that sata 2 is three gigabits per second Well, what i could do and now you got to be careful with your typing if you type three space capital g then small bps which is gigabits per second yep space equals, space, question mark, space, capital M, capital B for byte, PS, it'll tell you that three gigabits per second is 384 megabytes per second.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's some, there's some of that overhead.
1: Feature. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I guess I'm not totally surprised, but I just wanted to throw that out there to do a quick conversion. Yeah. Uh, Google through the Safari address, you know, right, right, right on the your, top there. Right in the search it's, bar uh,
0: in the address bar. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Uh, Sean writes, he says, I'm looking to replace both SATA drives in this Mac mini that I have with two 500 gig SSDs. I've already maxed out the RAM with a t- with two eight gig RAM cards. I actually did this right after I purchased it. But now as the years have go- gone on, the Mac is appearing that it's getting slower and slower. This is probably not actually happening, but it certainly looks like it is. Um Can I do this with ease? These units, as with most Macs, are not made so that the user can easily dive in and upgrade the existing hardware. As far as you guys know, can I do this with relative ease and relative risk? Um, Yeah, yes. And there's always some risk when you're opening up a computer. Not so much that simply opening it up is going to cause any trouble, but while it's open, it's exposed. And I always tell myself, you know, I especially when I've been doing these IMAX with my son, you know, you take the glass off with suction cups, which is just crazy. But it's really easy. It I I I've feared this for years and it's it's really not something that that's all that scary. But what's scary is you've got, you know, for the half hour that you've got the, the machine open and you're doing this, you've got a piece of glass on the table and then you've separate from the computer. And then inside the computer, you know, you have the screen itself that you have to unscrew and then lift off. And then at one point you've got the screen off and the glass off and you're inside there. But for a lot of it, the screen is exposed and you're just constantly working with screws around it. My biggest fear is that I'm just going to get lazy and drop a screw and scratch the screen or worse, drop a screw or something larger, harder on this big flat screen that's sitting on the table and crack the screen. And, and, you know, those are the kind of things you need to be careful of. Don't, you know, have a, uh, don't do this right after you get out of the shower and your hair is dripping wet, right? Just, you know, be diligent about it. Take your time, be patient. And if it makes sense to be really retentive and, you know, hold screws only around the edges of it, do that. You're only in there for, you know, a half hour, maybe an hour at most. It's not, it's not like you have to do this for the rest of your life. Just be diligent and uh follow the instructions you know i fix it has some great instructions i fix it has some videos owc also has videos i i don't i watch the videos not to get instruction but to so that when i go in i've seen inside these things before and i've seen what it looks like and i've seen how the things move that knowledge you know you learn a lot by osmosis just watching the videos they're usually about you know 5 to 10 minutes long and uh, and those videos can be really helpful. Then I print out the instructions from uh, from iFixit and 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 just follow along there. But um, but yeah, I don't, it's you know, you just just take your time. Right, John.
1: And be sure you go through and, and I found iFixit is excellent at this. The mm-hmm. iFixit uh, take apart and put back together guides, which yeah. is basically go in reverse. But they'll warn you like I remember, you know, one with with my MacBook, even mine, they said, OK, when you're taking off the top cover. Be careful because there's this cable going to the motherboard. You don't want to yank it out. Or like I remember when when I was helping our pal Duffy take apart the iMac. They're like, okay, be careful here because there's a cable connecting the camera to the motherboard. And if you pull the case off the wrong way, you're going to rip that cable out and then you're going to be sad.
0: And then you're going to be sad. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) right. Yeah, we have the it's not like the old you know, I got I got to the point when I was doing consulting that. I I, I've said this before, I'd stopped opening up laptops and an iMac nowadays is just like a laptop. You'd have to peel everything off in layers. And, and now as I, as I think about it, as we're doing, I mean, as I think about it right now, the, the, the reason I stopped doing that wasn't because this is difficult was it was because every laptop was different and you never, it was the unknown, you know, you start, you're like, okay, well, here's some screws. So I guess we unscrew those and then we shake it a little bit and, oh, look, the case is starting to crack open. So let's pry it here. Invariably, you're going to break something because you don't know what it looks like inside. Well, that's all gone now. Thanks to iFixit and OWC. And uh, really, I guess it's the two of them that, that pioneered this, Right. And and so there's no more unknown. You have instructions from people that have done the breaking and, you know, figured it out because once you're in there, you can say, oh, I should have done this. Okay. Well, it's too late for your computer, but that's so, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's not as scary as it used to be. That's what I have to say about it. <laughs> All right. Trucker Tom, I think truck, uh, trucker Tom has a question and a tip. So we'll, we'll let that
3: happen. Hey guys. Tom Wiles here, a.k.a. Trucker Tom. In the past couple of episodes, you've been talking about installing an SSD drive on an older iMac. I have an old white plastic MacBook with a Core 2 Duo processor and 2GB of RAM that I installed an SSD into a bit over a year ago. The difference in performance is nothing short of remarkable. The machine now boots up completely within 30 seconds or less and performing tasks that used to cause the machine to dig deep into the virtual RAM swap file, and it would often trigger the uh, spinning beach ball of death. Uh, Now those tasks move at the speed of RAM. Uh, The machine is uh, so much faster, I don't think I need to upgrade it. I also have a Mac Mini that I put an SSD into uh, that I use as a desktop machine with similar results. I have yet another Mac Mini that I use as an HD DVR with an ITV, the USB ITV stick, that I'm planning on uh, updating to an SSD at some point in the near future. And I also have a 17-inch MacBook Pro from 2008 that I'm on the fence about what to do with. Uh, I could install an SSD in it and have a much faster machine. However, the uh, optical drive needs replaced and the trackpad's mouse button has been used so much it's gone a bit wonky. The machine still works, but I'm not sure how much life is left in the LCD flat panel. What would you do with a machine like that? I really enjoy the show. Keep up the great work.
0: Yeah, okay. So, normally if if your machine didn't have all those other problems, I'd say, yeah, you you I mean, you you will see a, a speed bump just like you saw in your other one. Uh with with an SSD upgrade, but with all those other issues, it starts to you're probably over the line of throwing good money after bad. I, I think it's, you know, leave that machine as it is and and uh, and 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 just move on from it when, you know, when when the timing and the the money is right. Would, would you agree with that, John?
1: With the all uh, with the uh, and yeah, I think, uh, yeah, if, if I heard that right, it's
0: a similar class of machine to what I have here. And, yeah, uh, it's a 17 inch. But right. But yeah, same class.
1: Yeah, and I've uh, yeah, fortunately, yeah, I uh, haven't run into those problems yet. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. As things start to fail, it's yeah, yeah, not good. At some point, you're right,
0: right, right. Yeah, you you gotta kind of look at it. Yeah, but you know, we did have listener Michael right, who has uh, a a 17 inch uh, Core two Duo MacBook Pro uh, with uh, uh, four gigs of RAM, and he's running Mountain Lion on it. And he says he's already replaced the original hard drive with a 750 gig spindle rotational drive that's been getting about 100 megabytes uh, per second read and write. Still a spindle drive. So the whole latency issue is still uh, an issue for him. He uh, he asks, though, he says, even if the throughput doesn't improve dramatically, do you think the improved seek times would make a worthwhile improvement in performance of the machine to update to an SSD? John.
1: And I'm going to give an answer that's going to get you shaking your fist at me, Dave.
0: No. All right. I, I will <laughs> no, prepare my to, fist.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it's open to discussion here. So, um, so basically, but, uh, my thought on this, Dave, is, is so you have SATA one similar to my MacBook Pro, though I understand it could do SATA two, but for whatever reason they made it SATA one. Right. So in theory, using the trick I mentioned before, you're going to get a maximum throughput of 192 megabytes per second.
0: Realistically, it's going to be about 150. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Ma- yeah, in max. Theory, right. Um, and that's what I get on 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 Lisa's machine that that is a SATA, it's that same SATA you know one machine, so it, it does one and a half, so it, it gets about 150. It may be 140 right. and it's fine. But, you know, it, but it's she's the right. she was the first one to say feels like a brand new computer. So. Right. So, um,
1: you know, and as we're discussing here, the benefit of an SSD, uh, as you, my esteemed colleague, Dave, has uh, have pointed out, is not so much the max throughput, although that's important, but it's the latency. It's the time between getting things done. Right. That is the real benefit. So I'd say absolutely. Yes, you're going to see an improvement. Uh, the only thing I'd say is just keep in mind that when you look at the drive and the specs on it, don't waste your money on something that, you know, is going to get two, three, four, five hundred megabytes per second if you don't have to, because you're never going to realize it.
0: Right. Right. Well, you're good. I mean, you're and that's that's why you want to um, you, you take a look at these. Yeah. You don't need the the, the fastest uh, SSDs that are out there. And that's that's kind of why I, I looked at the, the lower end ones, because on the machines that I'm putting these into and, and, and the machines we're talking about here, it just doesn't make a difference. Yeah.
1: Now the only other option that I'm going to offer up Dave for a machine of this class. And the option that I am using right now is that there is this class of drive. There are a couple of people now that make them. I, I was not aware there was a new player in this, but it's what's called a hybrid SSD. I think is the best term for it. And there are two people right now that make those. So Seagate makes one. It's the Momentous XT. And then I've seen Toshiba has actually entered this market. Uh, basically what they are is a rotational hard drive, you know, a high-speed rotational hard drive. But they have a very large SSD-like, I will say, cache on it. Uh, so you're going to get performance that's better than a traditional rotational drive, but not as good as an SSD. The only reason I mention that, so again, if you want to get a a boost in performance you may want to consider these the only reason i mentioned them dave is that i just checked the pricing on these things and typically you can get one of these a terabyte and i've seen them for about 80 bucks
0: okay yeah so that's that's a lot uh, more storage for a lot less money
1: right you're you're not going to see uh, again you're not going to see the same performance impact as an ssd but if you want a lot of space and you still want to get a little bump then, then I would suggest that you explore those as well, just because of the pricing.
0: Yeah. So, my my question is, does it really make a difference in terms of that that latency, right? The, in terms of like boot times and all of that, when you move to this this momentous drive, was there? I mean, did it double for you? I mean, for with an SSD, it it really I would, is. I would a say f-
1: perhaps. Yeah, I would say perhaps double okay. uh, again because it's a rotational drive. Yeah. So, and you know, so it has this cache, and when it gets a hit on this cache. You oh, get sure. the benefit of an SSD, but you're not always going to get a hit into what's in the cache right. because it's not the same size. I, I forget right. if it's, uh, I, I forget exactly if the if the caches are on the order of uh, several megabytes. I don't think they're gig. I think they're you know many megabytes, a uh, high speed SSD like cache. Sure. So if you get a hit, and they kind of learn and watch you and stuff. So. All I'll say when I benchmarked it, you know, and I did, you know, a a synthetic benchmark, uh, you know, versus an older rotational drive uh, compared to an SSD, because I have had an SSD. I had one of the Samsung uh, 470, one of their first generation SSDs. And basically the performance is kind of between the two.
0: Okay. yeah, because with an SSD, you're you're. It it's not unrea. It sounds crazy to say this, but it really is not unreasonable to see a tenfold increase in things oh, yeah. like boot times and application launch times, especially things like mail and you know when Dropbox starts up. It's it's indexing all these files, all this stuff. You know, I I've, I said it in the last show, and I say it again. I see my CPU hit a hundred percent now when my computer's starting up, and that never happened before. And to me, that's a good thing because it means that the CPU is not waiting. It's just doing what it needs to do. And that's why it happens so much faster. Um, They're even less. I I just stumbled
1: across this. I just I just did a quick search for Toshiba, you know, hybrid. Yeah. 70 bucks at Newegg for one of these one terabytes. So, uh, hey, so I have I
0: have another option for you, though. Um, Another option? Yeah. With this, you know, with uh, with Michael's 17 inch MacBook Pro, I believe that is a pre unibody machine. If I'm, if I'm reading his model identifier, right. Uh, What he can do is he has an optical drive in there, like a, a, a super drive, CD drive, DB drive, whatever it is, as well as the hard drive. And they're both sort of right next to each other. In the case, you, he has a 750 gig spinning drive in there. He could, uh, take the spinning drive and put it in, in, in place of the super drive, which he probably isn't using a whole lot anymore. And to do that in the pre-unibody machines, there's really only one player in town. It's MCE Technologies. And, uh, and they have a, a thing called the OptiBay, which is built to do exactly this. It's, it's, a, it's a, again, a bracket, uh, sort of a smart bracket that is exactly the size and shape of a, uh, a, a super drive. But it will it has a spot in there to fit your hard drive. So you put the hard drive in there and then you can put the SSD in the computer where the hard drive was. And now you get all the storage benefits of your 750 gig drive. But you could put a 256 gig SSD in and ensure that you're always booting and launching your mail and all that stuff from. The SSD and then on your, you know, on the on the rotational drive, you can store your iTunes library and your iPhoto and all kind of all the, the larger data stuff. Um, OWC also makes adapters for their uh, for these, but not for pre unibody machines. The OWC adapters are only for um, unibody Max and later, I think, it, which starts with the late 2008 uh, Macs. So, uh, for this machine, you have to go with, uh, with the OptiBay, but otherwise you can, you can go with OWC's thing, uh, on the larger ones. And I, and I do, you know, there, there's some benefit to that. That's how I run in my office, John. I have a 256 gig SSD in the iMac It came this way with a one terabyte rotational drive. And I put the, uh, I put, you know, again, my iTunes and iPhoto and my virtual machines, although those would certainly launch faster from the SSD. I don't launch them often enough to make it worthwhile, uh, to me to put them on the SSD. So I just keep all that stuff on the rotational drive and it's totally fine. Uh, but you can do that in your laptop too. If you're, if you're willing to forego having the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the the optical drive, which again, most of us probably don't use anymore. So I would not, if you do that, you certainly could do a roll your own fusion drive, uh, which is Apple's sort of, you know, multi plat, multi, uh, multi-disc not quite raid-ish thing i I, i've heard of too much trouble with that to recommend it it Uh, frightens me yeah as well it should as well we're (laughs) we're we're smart enough here that that we can we can manage our data and we know how to put data on on one disc versus another and i think that's a safer bet so
1: um i'm just nervous about stitching the two different technologies together like uh, it just seems very mysterious i I don't understand it
0: well it's it's it you can see it all you can actually go into the terminal and manipulate mm. core storage and see how it's doing it but the problem is when you have a a, a an issue with the drive it that's it it you know you kind of have to restore from a backup and reformat there's there's not a whole lot of drive repairs that you can do so i uh, I just i don't I don't recommend it All right. So I think that wraps up our our SSD thing here for today, John. We've got quite a few questions to go through and we will go through them. But first, I do want to talk about uh, our newest sponsor here, which is Harry's at Harry's dot com. Now, what Harry's is, is uh, they're they're an online company, obviously, uh, at Harry's dot com. I didn't have to tell you that. Uh, And they are. Uh, one of the founders of Warby Parker, which is the eyeglass company that does the kind of, uh, home try on and all that founded this, uh, with a couple of other people founded Harry's.com. They send you and they sell shaving equipment for guys. And this stuff is awesome. They sent, they sent me some stuff and, and they sent you some stuff too, John. And you know, I am not, uh, I am an occasional shaver. I don't shave every day. Uh, I don't have to. Uh, but I, I shave every eh, three days or so for the most part, I use an electric. Now, if I go more than about three days, I can't use an electric cause it's a very, I could, but it's a very painful process as that thing, you know, rips the hair off my face and, uh, and the electric's not all that great for you. So, uh, I do maybe once, twice a month, I, I shave with a blade. So I got this kit from them and, uh, I eagerly tried it cause it had been about four or five days since I shaved. So it was perfect timing. And, uh, and the first thing I noticed was the, it comes to so the kit that you get from them uh, and you can get five bucks off and their their kits uh, start at 15 bucks. So th- this stuff is, and, and that's a kit with a handle and the handles are really nice. Uh, I want to I tell you about that. The handle three blades and a tube of shaving cream. So 15 bucks, there you go, right? That shipped to your door uh, and you can get a coupon with MGG five bucks off. So, once you get this, uh, one of the blades is already on the handle, so it makes it easy. But their shaving cream is—it's really like it felt silky to me, John. It didn't get over lathery, but it—it uh, it was good, right? It was—it was. I shaving- was shocked
1: in that it was cold. It made me feel uh, versus normal uh-huh. shaving cream that I use out of a can. Yeah. I was like, this is cool, and that it was physically. Huh. No, it's some good stuff. I—I I, yeah. I don't think I've ever used you know, cream out of a tube before, but uh, I think it adds, it definitely adds to the, uh, the the experience.
0: Yeah. And it, it made it way easier than having all this lather all over the place. So, um, and, and then the handle, they clearly spent some time engineering this thing. A lot of times I'm using just a crappy razor that I, you know, because I don't shave with a blade often enough to have it in my, uh, routine that I buy new blades, I'm always either using some old blade that I really shouldn't be using or some crappy blade that I just picked up for like, you know, five cents at the pharmacy or something, or even worse, the crappy blade that I picked up six months ago for five cents at the pharmacy that I'm now using. Right. So bad stuff. And I'm always like nicking myself because I don't do this often enough. And These, you know, the the, the blades, those crappy blades are crappy. That's how it is. So this blade uh, and the handle was really nice. I never, I I never felt like I had to contort myself to get the right angle on anything. The, the, the blades kind of bent and flexed and the handle flexed just as I I wanted it to. And they use five blades in their, uh, in their thing, which was, which is amazing. I don't know that I've ever used five blades, John, but it, it works. And my skin was like, like smooth. My wife immediately noticed. She's like, oh, you're going to need to shave with this thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's actually a nice experience. So, uh, and, and what's cool is, and you don't have to, I want to make it clear that you don't have to sign up for a subscription, but you can sign up for a subscription with them. But they, they, they understand, they know that even if you shave every day, you probably don't need six new blades every month. Right. That that's that's a little obsessive when the when the stuff is high quality like this. So they have plans for shipping to you every two months if you shave all the time, every four months or even every six months. And if that's not right for you, you can build your own plan where you just decide what the schedule is or you don't have to build a schedule. You can just go online and order refills from them anytime you want. So. It, they, they get it. They know that you don't want to be burdened with this. You don't want to have to think about it, but you want to use quality stuff when you do this. And you want to make sure that when it's time to shave, you just have the quality stuff and you don't need to pause and go figure out what to do. So uh, so Harry's dot com is uh, they're a new company. They're less than a year old. Uh, they're using German engineered blades. John, I don't know if you knew that. I thought you'd appreciate knowing that. Yeah. Um, Outstanding. And I like the blades. You would think five is, is kind of
1: ridiculous, but it actually made it where it was, I, I didn't have to, uh, I only had to do
0: one, you know, one, one pass. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, this I didn't even some... think about that. It. Yeah. I noticed that I was shaving much faster. And so when my wife said, you should do this all the time, it, I, I I thought, yeah, okay, that's fine. Because yeah, it didn't take me forever to do this. Oh, ah, that's, I bet that's why that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It It's good stuff. Uh, and the kit that, come, that comes is nice. It's packaged well, and it opens well. And it, you know, it's they have thought about everything. So check it out, Harrys.com, uh, and and place your first order. Save five bucks with our coupon code MGG, and uh, and let us know what you think. They—they're they're, they're a sponsor. They're going to be on for a little while. We, we we're going to learn a little bit more about them. But I'd love to hear your experiences too. So uh, so check them out, Harrys.com, and use coupon code M G. Gee, all right, John, you want to take us to uh, you did one geeky thing uh, with that, that finding I'm out gonna, about the trim thing. You want to do another one?
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quick geeky tip here, Dave. Okay. That, that just occurred to me. So I had an occasion a couple of days ago. So I actually went to a job fair and uh, uh, believe it or not, I wore a suit huh. and I was getting ready to. Um, and so I wanted to take a picture of myself. But okay, sure. Uh, I was like, well, how am I going to pull this off? Well, I could do like most and, you know, take the camera or camera phone, uh, like an iPhone or something and sure. hold it up in the mirror and take a picture. But that's kind of hokey. And it's just not very good composition. So I'm like, you know, is there any way for me to do a remote shutter with the tools that I have available to me, Dave, in that I could put the phone somewhere and then take a picture of my sh- myself? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, on older cameras, as you probably know, the way you did that is you had this contraption that you screwed into the camera and you would push a little button and, uh, you know, kind of hide it. And then you would people wouldn't see it. And I guess you call it a remote shutter. Well, how can you do that with an iPhone, Dave? And I'll tell you how. And you may be able to guess how I did this, Dave, because it's a device that uh, it, it, it's actually something that I got it as I was leaving Macworld. Um, there's this group uh, that makes a portable Bluetooth keyboard. Because as soon as I got the iPad, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to need a keyboard if I want to do any heavy-duty typing on this thing. I'm not, uh, you know, the touch keyboard to me is just kind of frustrating. And these guys make a really nice keyboard, mytypekeyboard.com. And so I poked around online, and somebody suggested, hey, you know what? You may be able to use a Bluetooth keyboard as a remote shutter. And that's exactly what I was able to do. So as you may know, when you're in the camera application, Dave, if you hit the plus key on the iPhone or imagine the iPad as well. Yeah. It's like hitting the shutter. Oh. But what if you hooked a Bluetooth keyboard up to your iPhone or iPad and then hit whatever on that keyboard, in this case, it was, I think, function in one of the keys. What if you hit the volume up button? In this case, it was hitting the equivalent of the volume up button on the keyboard. Yeah. That did the same thing. It made the camera take a picture of me without my holding the phone. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) I think it's a cool offshoot of, because I think there are people now that make remote shutter, Bluetooth remote shutters for iDevices, but that's all they do. So if you have if you have yourself a Bluetooth keyboard and would like to take pictures of yourself or to remote shutter,
0: that's how you do it.
1: Now, i was just so happy.
0: I think you can use the um, the headphones that come with your iPhone. <laughs>
1: that's another thing I found as well. Yes, there there, there are several ways to to get the camera to take a picture. That's another one. So if you right, have something you volume, with a long
0: enough wire. Volume up. Well, but if you have a Bluetooth yes. headset for your iPhone, which <laughs> right. uh, with a volume up control, you could do it that way too, I would think. Yes. I I would imagine that's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Anything that
1: that hits the plus button or the volume up button while you're in camera yeah. will make it take a picture.
0: Yeah, so just that's thought I'd great. share that. Oh, what a great No, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Cool. Cool. All right. Chris has a good tip for us, too, that uh, I want to share. He says, you may be aware of this, but something I figured out recently when I wiped my iPhone, I was amazed at how easy it was now that everything is on the cloud and not stored locally. And I wanted to do the same for my Mac. I wanted to move my collection of PDFs to the cloud and be able to access them on my iPad and iPhone and also on my Mac. I use Reattle's documents or Readles, I, I always, I never know how, how they like that pronounced. But anyway, he used documents on iOS, and in it, I store my PDFs in iCloud. But there is no Mac version of their documents program. So how do I access those files from the Mac? Easy. Just tag them in Mavericks using the new Finder tags before sending them to the iPad. Says I use InstaShare for sending to the iPad. As soon as you move them to iCloud inside documents on the iPad, they will also sync to that simple little folder buried somewhere deep inside your Mac. But with the new tag system, you can simply click on a tag in the finder and all those files you tagged uh, moved to the iPad now appear like magic on your Mac. If you look closely, you will see the location is listed as iCloud. It means that you can have the PDF stored safely inside documents on the iPad, but you can still get to them on your Mac. Awesome sauce. Thank you, Chris. That's fantastic. I never would have thought to, it's the best use of tags that I've ever seen. Now, it would be nice if you could edit those tags from the iPad. But, you know, hey, we're now that's crazy talk, right, Apple? But um, oh, what a great idea. I like it. That's good, right, John? It's the, fir- it's the first use of tags on Mavericks that really <laughs> kind of makes me feel like, hey, this is good right I'm with you. St- oh, oh, you sound like the devil, John. Uh say Uh-oh. that again? No, you're Are you fine. maxing now. out your
1: processor again?
0: Yeah, okay. it it seems I got a I got a I got a mess with this more. It seems now that I've put the SSD in, now when I max out my processor, you go into like evil mode. Um uh, it's cool. I, I think
1: you need you need a processor upgrade. It's time.
0: Yeah, well, we know how that happens. That's just you buy a new <laughs> Mac. <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh maybe maybe. Yeah. I, I got to see what I got to do is, I you know, I finally get the old mixer back. So we're back on the Onyx 1220 and uh, and and with the with the new power supply and all that. So now I need to uh, I want to see if I can use Firewire on this and if that doesn't cause that issue, because I think the issue is with the new drivers for the USB audio interface that we have that are Mavericks capable i don't think it's the ssd i think it's mavericks because i did both at the same time i i took the troubleshooting rules and threw them out the window and did multiple changes to the same piece of hardware all at once oh yeah i know it's not really the best way to do it but i don't know it's it worked for me john all right you want to uh you want to get really geeky and tell us about jared john I think I do. So Jared had a challenge. Let
1: me get that up here because I wasn't sure if we were, uh... all right. So Jared, oh, where is it? Oh yeah. We have that PDF issue here. All right. Jared writes in, hello geeks. I'm having some issues with my Drobo and was wondering if you could lend your expertise to my situation. My iTunes media folder lives on my Drobo. Lately, my Drobo is having issues mounting after a reboot. I have iTunes set to launch on login as it serves media content to multiple Apple TVs in the house. However, if my Drobo fails to mount on login and iTunes launches on login, iTunes switches itself back to the default media folder location, which is home, music, iTunes, iTunes media. I'd like to configure my system in such a way that if on reboot or login, iTunes won't launch automatically if the Drobo is not mounted, but will launch if the Drobo is mounted huh <laughs> any idea on how to set this up automator question mark apple script question mark keyboard maestro really i need to address the drobo issue but i'm looking for a workaround in the meantime and dave i think i have a workaround or i tried to simulate his situation i could not totally sure but i think i got close enough here so i think what you can do dave is you can do this with automator And how would you do this? Well, you would create a new workflow. Yeah. And then what you would do is there's a files and folders library. So Automator breaks things out in library. So you would click on files and folders. Then there's one called get specified servers. And then under that, you would say add. What you do there is you specify the uh, network folder that has the stuff that you would like to mount. Then the next item you would choose is an item called connect to servers. and What that will do is take the info from the prior item and try to uh, mount (laughs) that volume on your desktop, which is exactly what he's trying to do or he'd like to happen. Right. And then the final part of the workflow is that you would then go to the utilities library and then you would choose launch application. And the way that automator works, or at least as far as I could tell in this case, is that if one step fails, it's not going to execute the next step.
0: That is correct. I can speak to that uh, all too clearly. In fact, (laughs) I I wish that that weren't the case or I wish it was it was optional that I could say doesn't matter if this fails, move on to the next step anyway, because we have this post show workflow that burned me a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No. So. Okay, so you you did something very interesting. You know, I'm thinking about this problem and I'm thinking, how can I sense whether a drive is mounted? And I'm thinking control plane, which might do this, by the way. But, you know, and, and building some workflow. And what you did, or when what you just described, was not to worry about that at all. You just said, go to mount it. If it's already mounted, it's not going to mount it twice. It's just going to mount it and, and succeed and launch iTunes. But if it's not mounted, it's going to mount it and then launch iTunes.
1: That's brilliant. For, for a drum reason, it, it fails, then it's, right. it's going to bail. Well, I, the, the way I simulated that is I, I basically tried to, I, I substituted a volume that did not exist to sure. make the action fail. And so I'm assuming that the same thing would happen if it tries to mount something and it doesn't happen within a reasonable amount of time.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's any error trapping in Automator. So you could have it, like, send you a text message or, you know, an email or whatever. It, you know, if, if, if there was some way of saying, did the previous step, what happened there? Is there error trapping? And there might very well be uh, in Automator. I mean, it's it's written by really smart people. so Yeah, um,
1: and I think we yeah. had something similar. We had something come into our inbox, I think, from our, our good friend Mark, who is uh, hanging in the chat room there. Okay. That Automator is a really good tool for for a sequence of events that include mounting a volume and then doing something useful in that. If it doesn't happen, then
0: right. Right. Oh, that's smart, man. I like that. I'm glad we did that one. That's good. Yeah. I'm getting more
1: into automator and uh Apple script there. Uh, the, the, yeah, there, there, there are enough workflows out there where if you want to do something with either one of them, I think you can find something that, that that'll at least get you started. But I continue to be, well, I don't know. Automator doesn't have as rich a set of things as Apple script, but I think it has enough to get a lot of useful work done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And of course you can mix and match the the two, right? You can run a, a an Apple script from automator or you can run shell oh. scripts from automator too. Right. So yeah. Huh. Cool. All right. One last one, John, before we, uh, before we say goodbye to the four hundreds, uh, <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Crazy. Craig writes, I recently purchased a Toshiba Canvio Connect one terabyte portable hard drive for my dad's iMac mid 2007 running 10.9.2. I had him purchase Carbon Copy Cloner to make a bootable backup for his hard drive. Um, He says he formatted the drive for Mac OS journaled and followed the backup procedure to backup his hard drive using Carbon Copy Cloner. Everything works fine except that the Toshiba does not show up as a startup disc option to boot from. We ran disc utility, check the info on the drive and everything says that it should be bootable yet does not show up. Is this because it is being powered by the USB port and not self-powered? I'm hoping that if his hard drive fails, the computer will still recognize the Toshiba drive and boot from that. Well, you can, you can test that it, you can boot up with the option key down and, uh, And it should go into a disk picker mode. And so that would be one thing to test to see if that Toshiba drive shows up there uh, and and lets you boot from it. I'm guessing that it might not, though. My guess, and I could be wrong about this because we're guessing from afar. But my guess is that this drive was originally formatted for Windows. Windows. And when you or your dad went in and reformatted the drive, you, you erased the windows partition from the drive and, and put a Mac partition on you reformatted the drive in a different format. Uh, that's one part of what it takes to boot. The other part is that your drive needs to be formatted using a partition or needs to be partitioned using a partition scheme that the Mac will accept a, as a bootable device. And uh there there are several but the Mac will accept two types to boot from and unfortunately to change the partition scheme rem- means removing all the partitions from the drive i.e. losing all the data that's on there hopefully because it's a clone that's not a huge deal here but it is something for all of us to think about when we uh you know buy these these third party external drives if they come windows formatted that should be a kind of a warning sign that hey the partition type is wrong too uh so what you do is you go into disk utility and go to partitions you know highlight the drive don't highlight the 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 disk that you formatted but highlight the drive it should be kind of one step up from that in the hierarchy on the left uh go to partitions and then click the options dot 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 button uh at the bottom you may need to authenticate with the the little lock first uh and type in your password once you do that uh you will see Three options, one, the first is GUID partition table, the second is Apple partition map, and the last is master boot record. It's probably set to master boot record because that's what would happen uh, for a Windows machine. And that's the one type in this list that the Mac won't boot from. So change it to GUID because that's what's right for Intel Macs. So pretty much anything that's still in service today. Uh, Although Apple Partition Map is right for PowerPC-based Macs. Uh, Change it to GUID, hit OK. It'll tell you you're going to erase all your partitions. That's fine. And then it'll go about creating your new uh, HFS Plus journaled Uh, partition or uh yeah partition then then, and then you format that and and off you off you go Uh, that should solve that problem i have successfully booted max from usb powered drives that's not the issue Uh, if that still doesn't boot it or you look in disk utility and you can see what the partition type is when you just highlight the disk if you look at the bottom there in disk utility it'll tell you if it already is guid then it is something else let us know and we'll we'll dig deeper with you but um But that's, that's the thing. And, and, you know, that's also really important when you're buying SSDs, as we, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, if it comes pre-formatted, stop and think about, you know, setting the partition type, right. And all of that, a lot of most of the SSDs, I'm trying to think, I know the OWC one came completely blank. I believe the SanDisk and crucial ones did too. I don't think they came with partitions on them, but I honestly can't remember and I should have remembered I'll check with the next one I promise so anything to add to that John before we uh, before we bid adieu to the 400s here
1: sadly we can't totally get rid of Master Brew record no we can't Because we'd like our well we'd like our max to be able to you know when they need to read that sort of thing so absolutely
0: absolutely Mm. yeah well you know that's how it works I got, I got, whoa, here comes the band. There's, I gotta get, I get well, I move, I move things around in the, uh, in the new mixer and I have the band, uh, closer to me than I used to. And I just got a little jumpy with the fader there, mm. but, uh, so we're going to renew the band for, uh, another 500 episodes or, I, I don't we know. Do we're think? still in negotiations, John. I don't want to, I <laughs> certainly publicly, I don't want to say anything until, you know, until it's all signed and done. I, I make no promises. <laughs> Feedback at MattGeekHub.com is where you can share your thoughts on whether we should renew the band for another 500 episodes. And you can also send in your questions, tips, cool stuff found, and anything else you like to that address for us.
1: In case you didn't hear it because the band was playing too loud, which sometimes they do. (laughs) That was Feedback at MattGeekHub.com.
0: I think you said feedback at MacGeekab.com. You can, also, um, you can also send an email, if you're a premium member, to premium at MacGeekab.com. That's not something we had in place 500 episodes ago, but it is something we have in place now. Uh, and if you want to learn more about premium and what it takes to support us, uh, then uh, check it out. MacGeekab.com is where you can find out about all of that. You can also email us at 206 geek which, John, is... I think you meant call us. What did I... Did I say email us you to the phone number? You said email
1: us. <laughs> well, you could try to email the phone number, but I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. But what I, Dave said, 206 geek is 4335. And another thing, at this important almost milestone, you've helped us get where we are today, and we've helped you get you where you are today. And one way to do that, Dave, go to iTunes, find our podcast
0: and do a review. Yeah, that really does help us. It, it, it That's the one thing that this week we're going to ask you to do for us. That would be fantastic. If you could all go just write a review quick. It'll, it won't take you very long on iTunes, uh, but we'd really appreciate it. It really does help. Uh, Gets us on the
1: charts. Yeah. I, I, I still I, I'm still tickled because you've helped get us here yeah i'm still tickled when i look at you know the technology podcasts and i see you know not only us but i see you know a lot of our our esteemed colleagues are up there as well and and it's all due to you uh reviewing and giving us feedback
0: yeah it's great I, i i do want to thank michael johnston uh he again he wasn't with us on episode one but it was it was in the 20s maybe might have been even earlier than that when he joined us and started doing the uh, the enhanced AAC feed he does that every week for us. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I know all of our listeners you got to a lot of you get to speak with him at, uh, at Macwell iworld and and he he actually really appreciated that. he 's like, you know I do this he's like i, I don 't really understand why people use it, but but he should he does because he was the one that wanted it so Uh, It's awesome. That was the challenge. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) So, uh, thank you, Michael. He also hosts the We Have Communicators podcast as well as GetAppler.com. Check them both out. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. If it weren't for them, we wouldn't have the bandwidth to get the show from us to you, no matter where you are in the world. If you have any needs for a content delivery network, please check them out. They're great folks to work with. And their service works so well that if it weren't for doing this show and saying this every week, I would forget that we work with them because it just works. We put the files up and out they go. So thanks to Cashfly. I also want to thank uh, all of our sponsors in the podcast marketplace. BB Edit from Barebone Software. Text Expander and PDF Pen from Smile. Gazelle.com to sell off all your stuff. Squarespace.com with that coupon code MGG. Harry's now. Coupon code MGG for five bucks off. Rage Software. We've got a coupon code coming from them, I think. And, uh, and I fix it as well up to the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. It's been a fantastic 499 episodes, folks. We want you there with us for show 500, which we're going to be recording on Sunday night. So please do me this, this, this dear, dear, dear favor and don't get caught.
1: Made up.